Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So, Okay, I want you all to think for a second, back to when you were 15 years old. And if you're not 15 yet, I want you to imagine when you're 15. Okay, But for everyone else, I want you to think back to when you're 15. And I don't have thousands, tens of thousands of people that did a survey for me. This is kind of just based off of my experience. And I think, I think many of you will relate to this. So I'm going to think about, when I was a 15-year-old boy, what was it that I wanted? What did I want as a 15-year-old boy? And I want you to think, if you're a girl, well, what did you want as a 15-year-old girl? And I thought of four things, okay? This in no way is extensive, but I think this is uh, something. The first thing is, I wanted friends. I had my group, my, my, my best friends. You know, we'd ride bikes together, we'd play basketball. This, this was my group. Uh, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, you know, what for me it was probably primarily sports. For some of you it was fishing. For some of you it was hunting or, or it was rollerblading or, uh, you know, those kind of things. But for me it was mostly sports. Uh, and then number three, there was the car, you know. Um, this wasn't as much me, but I did, I did want a car. You know, I, wanted, I worked hard to get a car. Some of you, the car was everything. You know, I don't know how many of you had like a muscle car phase where you just wanted that Camaro or you wanted that, you know, Chevelle or the Mustang or whatever it was and you were going to fix it up and you were going to do all this and that. Um, and then the last one, but certainly not the least, the girl, you know. I decided not to put a picture of 15-year-old Drew and 14-year-old Catherine up here, but I could have. And uh, um, so anyway, but there's also that, you know, just where deep down, you know, the thing that you're spending most of your time thinking about, what do I want? It's like, oh man, I really wish I could be with her. I really wish, you know, she'd like me, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So I tried now, and I'm going to go back through these, and I want you to think about, now for those of you, you may not have related to those four or maybe three of the four. You might have wanted to add a fifth one. But here are some things that I think, if you look behind these, behind these things you probably could say that 15-year-old Drew wanted to belong and wanted to have a community of friends. You could probably say that 15-year-old Drew, with fun, he saw it as adventure, as purpose, as a mission. For me, if having fun was my, you know, that's playing basketball and trying to beat your friends at different things, that was kind of like what you lived for. Me and my friend, we took one of my action figures one time, and we wrapped it in duct tape, and it became one of our trophies. And any time we played each other in Madden, if he won, he got the trophy for the week, If I or for the day. If I won, I got the trophy, you know, and that was, oh man, who's got the trophy right now? Number three, uh, the car, it might symbolize, you know, freedom, independence, or purpose. I get to, oh, I get to go do my own thing. I get to get out of here. Number four, you know, love. You know, the at the heart behind uh, the girl was, you know, 15-year-old Drew wanted love, okay? Whether, whatever 15-year-old Drew thought about that word. But the thing that I'm going to try and make the point that I hope you can agree with is that what does the 25-year-old guy want? What does the 35-year-old guy, the 45, 55, 65, 75, 85-year-old guy want? And I think maybe give or take or add a few, you could argue that all of us deep down have a desire for belonging, for fellowship, 
for purpose, for mission, for adventure, for freedom, independence, and love. Now, yeah, the 65-year-old guy, the, the car might be a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Like, 15-year-old Drew is not dreaming about that. 65-year-old guy, the car might be a lake house. You know, it might be something else. But there's something that is usually behind all of those wants, something deeper behind that. And I think if ever you, I know you probably don't, but if ever you want to write a book or write a movie or direct a movie and you're like, I don't know what story to tell, I can almost guarantee you that if you look at all the classic books, all the classic stories in history, at their core, it is something as simple as a boy loved a girl or a girl loved a boy. Or it's as simple as a boy wanted a mission or a purpose or a girl wanted to belong. Like, at so many core movies, just when you boil it down, what's the story? What's the thing that drives the drama? What's the thing that... It's just this. It's people wanting this. So, we all want something and it all looks incredibly different for all of us. If I asked every single one of you, what do you want? I bet you I'd get a bunch of different answers and yet... All of our answers, if you go to take a few steps back, all of our answers are going to sound a lot alike. All of our answers are going to be things about belonging, things about purpose, about fellowship, about love. They're all going to be boiled down to some core things. And if Christ is my Lord, He has to be Lord of what I want. Or, as we're going to see, the story will say it, the Bible will say it, He's got to be Lord of my treasure. Okay? So today is, if Christ is my Lord, he is Lord of my treasure. I'm going to go through, fairly quickly, quite a few Bible passages about treasure. So let's start with Matthew 6. If you want to follow along on the screen or in your Bibles, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is the engine. It is the compass. It is the whatever adjective you want to use. If I want to know what someone's treasure is, all I need to do is look at where their heart is. How do I know where their heart is? All I need to look at where their priorities, where are their actions, and I'll know where their treasure is. Mark 10. Mark 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So this guy, he, he respects Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've, I've done a great job. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's a very good line. Someday we'll preach just this passage, and we've got to really lean into that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is a story that is about wealth. And you should be pricked if you are someone that has great wealth by this story. But that is not the premise of this story, in my opinion. The premise of this story is the real message deep down at its core is this man's wealth was his treasure. And Jesus called out his treasure and said, okay, you've done all these things, now make me your treasure. And he couldn't do it. For you and for me, 
It might not be wealth. It might be something else. Jesus might look at us and he says, okay, you've kept all these things great, but I need you to quit your job. Oh, I can't do that. My job's everything. Or he might say, I need you to leave some stability that you have. I can't do that. That's everything to me. Or it might be, hey, you put your children and your grandchildren above me. Oh, well, I can't do that. They're my treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let's talk in Wednesday night class because this is one of the things I don't understand. Is It's like, Jesus, don't you want me to treasure my family? And I think he would say yes. But we know that there's times where people make their family an idol, a treasure above God. Okay, Matthew 13, another great one. Jesus preached this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. This was common. People didn't trust banks. They buried it in the ground. And if a war came through and they died, that treasure would be lost because that person is the only one that knew. It was by that tree where the rooster crows every morning and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so someone was walking this field. They're plowing through and, oh, there's treasure. I almost used this analogy for this sermon, but there's some awesome stories of people who use metal detectors that are on the beach and their family thinks they're crazy. Oh, I can't believe you're using that metal detector again. And then they find like a million dollars worth of ancient like Viking gold or something. And they're like, I told you, you know, this was this $20 Radio Shack metal detector was worth it. Um, but that's kind of this idea. And the man, what he does is he finds it and then he hides it again. And then in his joy, he sells everything he had to buy the whole field. I'm guessing that premise is because he's like, well, if there's treasure here, there could be treasure everywhere. Let's get the whole field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, and I don't even know if we're supposed to think like, he's not like diving for pearls. He's like a merchant. He's looking around at pearl salesmen. And when he finds one of great value, he went away and he sells all that he possesses so that he can have that pearl. When we have found the treasure, it isn't a fun addition to our life. It isn't some cool like, oh, this is nice. I'm so glad I have this extra treasure. It is everything to us. And the cost of selling all that we have doesn't feel like a loss to get the treasure. For these people, they weren't like, oh, I don't know if I should sell everything to get this. They couldn't wait to sell all they had to get that field because that treasure. They couldn't wait to sell all he had to get that pearl because it was his treasure. It was not a loss to him. But to us, when we hear these stories, we're like, I don't know about selling everything for that. It's like, you're, you're missing it then, because the treasure is worth selling everything. This may be too extreme of an example, but uh, I'm going to say it because it's, it's just what I thought of. I'm at a stage in my life where I'm really grateful that I would give anything for my kids to have a relationship with Jesus anything. And there's no such thing. I don't know any story of a person where God came and did a deal with them like, "Hey, if you do this, I can guarantee you Marshall and your kid, your Marshall Landry Joe and Dean Tackett that they're that they're going to love me with their whole heart. But I would do anything that God made that deal with because that is my treasure, okay? That's an example of something where it's like, that would not cost me too much. Think of something. Don't say it out loud. But think of something like, well, what if God said this? Would not be too much of a cost for me. Okay? Now, yes, thankfully, uh, I like to imagine that there's a world in which it's like, well, can't I keep doing this and get to, you know, you know, we'd play that game. But if it's the treasure, nothing is too much of a cost. Mark 10. My last passage, okay? Mark 10. 
Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the same, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now there's a lot of discussion that can be had about whether or not it's like, well, this was obvious. But I do like to think that it's not that obvious. I was saying to the interns, I said, like, if I was at a grocery store and I ran into a multi-billionaire, if I ran into Jerry Jones, uh, and he said to me, what do you want me to do for you? I'm probably going to go, I'd love season tickets for the rest of my life, okay? But I'm probably, box season tickets for the rest of my life. But I'm probably not going to go, if I were a paraplegic, I'm probably not going to go, could you regrow my leg? Because I don't believe he can do that. And so it shows a lot of faith that this blind man doesn't just say, I'd love for you to help me. I'd love for some money. I'd love for, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. He believes Jesus can do that. And that's, I think, part of his faith. Also, he calls him son of David, which is also a big faith thing to, to, to make a statement like that. But So he says, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I think we can talk about this story more on Wednesday night. I think it would be worthwhile. But there is something remarkable about Jesus saying to him, what do you want me to do for you? And that brings me to this quote. It's a dynamite quote. It takes three slides, but... You're going to want this quote hanging in your living room. I promise you, it's so good, okay? This is from James K.A. Smith. I'm going to read it slow. If you're a note taker, put your notes down. Just listen, this is so good. Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John and Bartimaeus in Mark 10, or you and me, and ask, what do you know? He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 4, 23. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is the command to align our lives and longings with his. To want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, and crave a world where he is all in all. That's good, right? That's really good. I think uh, lately I've had some experiences where I, I have been really appreciative of long-time longings and hungers and thirsts and desires, things that I just wish would happen that just probably were always on the back burner. And it's such a gift whenever those things seem to line up with God's plan and they seem to line up with God's timing and you're able to go, man, if I hadn't been hungering and thirsting that, maybe I would have missed that burning bush. Maybe I would have missed that moment. But I'm so glad I didn't miss it. 
And so the most important question that I don't have the answer to is this. Okay, Drew, how do I become the type of person, how do I become the type of person who wants Jesus to be my treasure? Okay? Because I wish it were that easy. I wish we were just born and from the second we come out of the womb, we're like, I want Jesus all the time. That's all I want. No, 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 I don't need six flags. No, 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 I don't need any, don't give me anything nice. I don't know. I just want Jesus. Well, I wish we did, but we don't. And so how do we become people that more and more want Jesus to be our treasure? I've come up with four things that I think are options. But like, come to Wednesday night class. If you think of others, like I said, I do not have the answer. I desperately want to have the answer. I want to want to have the answer. Okay, so first one, wanting something, getting it, and then being empty. What is one of the first ways that a lot of people make Jesus their treasure is because they live their life desperately wanting that retirement house. My life will be perfect once we can retire and we can get that dream house. We're saving everything for it. I'm gonna, we're never going to do vacations. We're going to save, 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 save to make that house. And then they get that retirement house and they feel empty. And they go, this was supposed to be everything. This was supposed to be the apex of my life, my re- relaxation. Everything was supposed to be perfect. And it wasn't. And so they learned, I wanted something good whether that was peace, whether that was enjoyment, I wanted this. But when they got it, they learned, okay, maybe Jesus is the source of where I get this, not this house, not this car, not this job, not this whatever. A friend of mine, I, I've told you all about, you know, he is married, expect, or married and now has a second kid, but he as a, a 42-year-old would talk with me and just lament, just mourn, my life is worthless if I don't get married. He would say that to me all the time. I'm not kidding. He was dead serious that he was like, I just don't see the purpose if I can't get married. And I remembered, I'd say, and I've said this to you all before, I would tell him, I am never going to pray that you get married. I am only going to pray that you become the type of person that is so in love with Jesus that you're okay if that doesn't happen. Because there's a lot of people that when they get married, and this was one of my fears for him, thankfully this hasn't happened, one of my fears was he was going to go, this was supposed to be everything. This was supposed to literally take me from the ashes to a phoenix, and I was going to be, and it's not. How come? Well, because that woman was not designed to be your Messiah. She was designed to be a love in your life that you love and you serve, and you made her to be what only Jesus can be, the treasure. Number two, sorry, one was, that was not supposed to last that long. Number two, Christians who live the good life, the good life of disciples. I believe that when you see true disciples living their life and they don't have all the things that everyone else wishes they had and they go, how are you so happy? How are you so content? How are you so at peace right now when you don't have all the things that I'm killing myself to get? You're not working 80 hours a week as a lawyer so that you can have this dream, this and that, and you're fine. What's going on? We get to be the witnesses and the ambassadors to telling people, I have the treasure. You know, as I think Andrew Brindley said it in his sermon, you know, he was talking to his friend at lunch and his friend was asking him and talking about how, how his life was just rough and Andrew was like, well, you know what I think the answer is, you know. I think I have the answer, and it's Jesus. Number three, this is another very much an easier said than done thing, but we've got to be people who choke out our other wants, strangle them, suffocate them, and fuel our Jesus wants. 
I don't, I'm not going to come up with a cheesy example. We can think of some on Wednesday night. But I think it's, it's as simple as there are things that I want right now that I wish I didn't want so much. And I feed those things. And if I could learn how to tangibly take little steps to strangle those things. If, if you, okay, one analogy. If you feel sick that you just sat on the recliner and watched like six hours of TV and you're like, ugh, I wish I didn't do this. Move the TV to another room. Take a small, that might be a huge step, but move the TV to another room. Cancel one of Netflix, HBO Max, or Hulu, or Amazon Prime. Cancel one of them. Obviously, Amazon Prime not, because you know you got to get those packages. Free delivery, for sure. But come on. But take little step to choke what you wish you didn't want and fuel the things that you wish you wanted. My thing is, I wish I watched less TV and read more books. Small step, move the TV. Small step, get a library pass. Small steps. Number four, last but not least. Train like someone who treasures Jesus. Find people who treasure Jesus and train like them. Be someone who does what they do. Uh, I've used this example to death, but John Mark Comer has an amazing example where he says, and I've used it in class, Wednesday night, Sunday night, where he says, no one except for rare aliens are born liking coffee. No one is born liking black coffee except for the rarest of people. But guess what? Whenever you're 16 and that boy that you think is cute likes coffee or is you're trying to seem mature, you're like, yeah, sure, let's go on a coffee date. I don't like coffee. So you go and you order something that's got tons of sugar in it. And you, it's basically not even coffee. It's like 1% coffee. And then you eat, drink that a few times. And then you go into college. You need a job, so you're a barista at Starbucks. And you start drinking some stuff that's 30% coffee. And then before you know it, it's 50% coffee, 60% coffee. And then you're like, oh, pff, I don't put anything in it. I drink it all black because I'm a boss. You know, I'm a mature adult. I drink it like, nope, just like that. Just like Johnny's just you know, scooped it with the, with the coffee grinds. Just toss them in there, okay? And you get to that point, and you're like, how did you go from this stuff tastes bad to I can't live without this? Like, I'm grouchy if I don't have six cups in the morning. How did you get there? Small steps of training, of participating in these things. I have to believe, and I wish it were, I wish it were more obvious in my life, but I have to believe my small commitment to doing a little bit of prayer in the morning, quiet time prayer, is going to make me someone who really likes it someday. I don't yet. I wish I did. But I'm hoping that as I train to be someone who loves to pray, I'll become that person. So here's my last thing. By the way, praise God for Doug fixing the air conditioning. Can we give him a round of applause? I know. I know. Did you know? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Sam. Mm. That's another round of applause. You know, there was a time in our fellowship that we believed the New Testament church didn't have air conditioning. And it was unbiblical. So I'm thankful this church believes that it's okay. How many people have missed out? This is my... I have a question and I have a good news. How many people have missed out on Jesus because they had too many other mediocre treasures? How many people, and I'm not even talking about bad, vapid treasures like gambling or something. I'm talking about fine treasures. Perfectly good, three-bedroom, two-bathroom, golden retriever treasures that we have. Too many treasures like that that get in our way from us wanting Jesus. 
How many take our good gifts that God made for us to enjoy and have said, that's my treasure? And he's like, excuse me, I'm the one that created that. I'm the one that made you. And you want that to be your treasure? As, Paul, as Peter would say, they took images that they made with their own hands and they worshiped those things. It's crazy. They're dead things. And I am the living treasure. But here's the good news that I have for you. This is, the, this is the thing that keeps me going. It's the thing I think is the best news you might hear today. I believe that God will respond to us when we want to want Him. Let me say that again. Some of you in here, you don't want Jesus to be your treasure yet. But you wish you were someone who wanted Jesus to be their treasure. Does that make sense? And I think He can work with that. I think Jesus can do a whole lot with people who are sitting here going... Man, he does not he is not the Lord of my treasure yet, but I really wish he was. And I think that's a something Jesus is like, I can work with that. I can do some great things with that. And if you'll join me and you'll partner with the Holy Spirit, we can really get you somewhere where you are going to meet me someday going, I can't wait to meet my treasure. Okay. If any of you would like to know more about what it means for Christ to be the Lord of your life and what it means to treasure Him above all else and how crazy that sounds but how many of us can attest that it's the only freedom that you'll ever find. If you'd like to know more about that, lots of us would love to talk with you. If you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and sing.